Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name tonight. Everybody agrees with me? Lord, we ask you for a fresh anointing on this word. I'm asking you to come speak through me. And Lord, let everything be accomplished that your will to be done tonight. Lord, I'm asking you that your word will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. As they used to describe Finney's preaching, Lord, it was like a bowling ball that would just blast through eggs. I mean, there was no stop in the word of the Lord. Lord, let your word be like that tonight, Lord, like a hammer that shatters right through strongholds and pulls them down. Lord, let your word go out as light shining in the darkness and dispelling darkness and lies and deceptions of the enemy and bringing truth and bringing revelation. And we come into agreement as a corporate body. We bind the enemy that would try to steal the seed. We bind the enemy that would try to hinder. In Jesus' name, he has no authority. We break his power off this word and off this time. Lord, I'm asking you tonight, Lord, anoint our eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would tune us into you. I'm asking you, and everybody agrees with me, Lord, that it would be such a mighty anointing on this word that would captivate us and lock us in tonight so that our minds get focused in on the word of God. There's no distractions at all. Our minds are focused in, locked into what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and showing us. Lord, I'm asking you that that will happen right now. The Holy Spirit just to arrest every person that we are totally focused right now and get everything out of this we need to. It's an important word. And Lord, I pray that your word will come out of my mouth, that you would speak through me tonight in glory and power and strong anointing and let it go forth and accomplish um, as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the spirit of truth and cause those seeds of truth to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Breakthrough tonight. Breakthrough tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Wow. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about wickedness in the heavenlies. Listen, I'm continuing the series on deception and mixture. This is part 10. I've been going a little while with this. I want everybody please hear me tonight because this is important. I want everybody out loud to say this. The sword of the Lord. That will, divide. that will divide. This is one of those words. I want you to hear me. This is one of those words that's going to be in our face tonight, all of us. This is something that, you know, that I've said this many times, the same light of truth that will melt wax will also harden uh, clay. It will harden. And you know, some people you preach like this, like I'm going to tonight, and some people it will soften them. It'll break them. They, they will repent. They'll go deeper in Christ. They'll really receive it. Other people... Man, they will get angry, they'll get hardened, they don't want to repent, they don't want to change. And so therefore, they actually go out of church worse than they came. Did you know you can come into the presence of God and hear the word of God and end up worse because you're unrepentant? Did you know that? We are held accountable for the truth that we receive. How we're going to handle that truth. As I preach this tonight, I just feel in my spirit that there's some things on the horizon. This isn't a bad thing at all, because nothing can stop a move of God. Reinhard Bonnke, when God was, was really moving through him in an awesome way in Africa, not that that's not still going on, but I mean, back in the days of the, the Crusades that had the millions, somebody had asked him about, you know, there was these critics and things, and Bonnke said, look, he said, I don't have time to get off of the combine of the Lord to mess with a few field mice. I just see some things because it's like coming up against a fork in the road and Jesus is right at that fork. And people are going to have to make a decision. They're either going to go this way or they're going to go this way. 
There may be some people that God causes them to part fellowship because of some things down the road. I don't know. He's going to bring in new people. He's going to shift things around. All of it is determined on how deep we're willing to go in Christ. Are we willing to go all the way? And that's where this is today. Did you know when, when Jesus said this, it was so powerful. He said that the prince of this world is coming. He saw spiritual warfare coming, but he said he has nothing in me. And he said, I won't speak to you much longer. He knew, Jesus knew he had the wisdom to keep his mouth shut when spiritual warfare was going on. And to not allow the enemy in because the enemy traffics a lot of times through words. What he said, she said, what they meant. Da, da, da. See what I mean? A lot of confusion. I'll get into that. All right, so wickedness in the heavenlies. Matthew ten sixteen, Jesus said, Behold, I send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Luke 10, 3, the same thing, but Jesus said it a little different. He says, I send you as lambs among the wolves. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're defenseless. No, what it means is this. We have the nature, the DNA, those that are truly Christ, that are truly his and sold out to him. We have the DNA of his sheep. But there are people out there that have the spiritual DNA of the wolf. See, whenever you're in a geographic region, there's principalities and powers, and I'm about to get into that, but, but there are certain people that have taken on their DNA, their characteristics, their traits, they're of that spirit, and it's the wolf. And then there's other people that are of the spirit of Christ. They're like the lambs among the wolves. Acts 20, 25, Paul was speaking to the church, and he said this, Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. Be on your guard. Now, I want you just to notice that. Paul said, I'm innocent of every man's blood because I refuse to shrink back and not preach the whole counsel of God. If you're in a church at any time where you can sit in service after service after service and never feel convicted of the Holy Ghost, there's something wrong with that church. Because Jesus said the Spirit of God has come that he might convict the world of sin in regards to righteousness because I go to the Father. The whole reason the Holy Spirit is here is not only to comfort us and to teach us, but to convict us so we can go deeper in Christ and be conformed more and more and more to his image. Verse 28 says, Be under guard for yourselves and for your flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on your alert. I want you to notice that from among your own men, among your own number, there's going to be men that will arise that will be wolves. These are people that knew Paul. These are people that were sitting as he's preaching. He probably led them to Christ. But he went on to say that they were going to be wolves one day. Second <laughs> Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's why Paul said, I'm innocent of all men's blood because I did not shrink back from preaching the whole counsel of God. I told you like it was. I preached it straight. 
And therefore, whatever you decide to do with that truth is your business. If you end up in heaven because of that truth, wonderful. If you end up in hell, I I still preach the same word to you as I preached to everybody else. I told it straight. And he said, I'm not going to stand before the Lord ashamed. I preach the whole counsel of God. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. It's in our struggle, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people. You know, whenever the person's being used of the devil, it's not really a battle with that person, it's a battle with the spirit that's using that person. You've got to get your eyes beyond just the natural. And Paul said that we fight against principalities and against powers and against wickedness in the heavenlies. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Satan's kingdom is set up across the world. I don't have time to get real deep with this, but God's, the third heaven is where God dwells. The Bible says that. Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven, but the second heaven... Above the earth is where Satan has set up a lot of his kingdom, the principalities and powers. Principality comes from the Greek word arche, and that word is where we drive our word architect. A principality is a fallen angel. It's intelligent, and it it acts like an architect. It'll blueprint out satanic strategies to oppose the kingdom of God. There's a principality over Dallas. And that principality knows who we are and knows who you are if you're a threat. If you're a prayer warrior, you're somebody that's a witness, you're somebody that's anointed, you're somebody that's going after God, he knows who you are. And those principalities study the people of God. They study preachers. They study people in their private times to see their weaknesses and their strengths. Are they people of prayer or are they lazy? They'll study you. They study churches. They study ministries. They study evangelists. And what they'll do over time is they'll try to formulate and strategize like a blueprint, strategize and attack. And whenever the time is right and the attack hits, it's like flipping on a switch. Now the powers are released and the powers will go carry it out. The first battleground all of us have to deal with is the battleground of self. We've got to conquer self. A lot of people, they're their own worst enemy. They don't need a demon chasing them. They do enough damage to themselves with their own negative mouth cursing themselves. They won't renew their mind, their own pity parties. They're living in sin. They play games, and they're their own worst enemy. And a principality looks at them and says, I'm not going to waste a demon there. He'll go send it on somebody that's really doing something for God. Amen? We've got to learn how to die to the flesh through daily prayer. The battleground of conquering the flesh. The battleground of conquering self. We overcome by dying to ourselves and let Jesus live his life through us. So the first battleground, learn how to die to the flesh through daily prayer that you're not going to let whatever it is that's trying to keep you from your prayer life, whatever it is that's trying to keep you, if it's sleep, if it's food, if it's entertainment, if it's people, whatever it is, you have determined, I am going to go after God. Every hindrance, I'm going to put it out of the way. I am going after God. I'm going to have a prayer life. I'm not going to let anything stop me. I'm going to die to myself and seek God. And I'm going to tell you, a person of prayer is a mighty weapon in the hands of God and a major threat to the devil. So the first thing we got to do is learn how to die to the flesh. People that haven't learned how to die to the flesh haven't even learned how to pray, really. 
I'm telling you, there's still baby Christians in diapers. They just are. And it's across, you look across America right now, and I'm concerned. I know that God's on the move. I know that there's a great awakening that's on the horizon, and, and it's darkest before dawn, and all of that. I get all that. I know that. But what I'm saying is I look out there, and I see so much just people are comfortable in their dry, dead religion. They're comfortable with where they're at. There's got to be a holy discomfort where we're hungry for more of God. We're not satisfied with not seeing more people saved. We're not satisfied with, let, you know, where we're saying, well, church is not seeing the healings and miracles. It's not seeing the, the deliverances. It's not seeing the move of God and, and the gifts at work and Book of Acts Christianity. And people are comfortable with that, that there's, there's something wrong. There's got to be a holy dissatisfaction that drives you to go after God with all your heart. And you've got to learn also to renew your mind with the word of God. You cannot let the enemy get in your head. You don't understand that it's like a snake laying eggs when he gets in your head. And that down the road when those things hatch, it's going to cause all kinds of problems for you and everybody around you. You've got to renew your mind. There's going to be thoughts that go through your mind because all of us have a sinful flesh. There's going to be thoughts that go through your mind because we live in a sinful, perverted, evil world. There's going to be thoughts that go through your mind because evil spirits launch fiery darts against your mind. I get that. But you don't entertain them. That's where the problem is. When thoughts come into your head that shouldn't be there, you dismiss them, you throw them out like a piece of garbage, and you force yourself to think on something else. The Word of God, preferably. And when you do, you're going to become stronger and stronger. In, the book, in, in Romans 12, it talks about that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The transformation literally is metamorpho in the Greek. And it's like going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Listen, that is a huge transition. The caterpillar is conformed to the, to the ground, the ups and downs of the earth's um, uh, wherever they walk. If there's something in the way, they have to climb over it. They go through all these struggles, but the butterfly can soar above all of that. And so once we understand that we can enter into like that butterfly life, so to speak, of a renewed mind, we're, we're coming up above this earth. You're going from being carnal, you're going from being worldly, you're going from being a certain way to now you're more heavenly minded and spiritual, in tune with the Lord. You've got to take the time to go through inner healing and personal deliverance. The book of Hebrews in 12.1 says that we got to lay aside, take off every weight, everything that entangles us, everything that ensnares us, everything that holds us back. You've got to take it off, pull it off your legs, and run this race. We've got to shake off those old things, things that have been ensnaring people, whatever it is. If it's lust, if, if it's an anger problem, whatever has got people in bondage, if it's depression, whatever it is, we've got to get that stuff off of us. Go through the inner healing and the deliverance process so that we can begin to walk in victory. And we've got to learn, and this is what I really want to get to today, we've got to learn to discern between the work of the enemy, the flesh, and the Holy Spirit. Some things are just flesh, it's just people. People are sinful, people are people. Some things are worldly, and some things are demonic. And you've got to have discernment to know the difference. The battleground in the heavenlies. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in this flesh, we do not war against the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds there. We are destroying speculations 
every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever our obedience is complete. 2 Corinthians 10.3, listen to it. The weapons of our warfare are divinely, supernaturally powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down strongholds. And it says that we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You've got to bring your thoughts captive. Now this is what I wanted to get into today. There's enemies of revival. If Here we are pressing in for greater things. Every significant move of God just about in world history has started with a handful of people in prayer. What makes you think it's going to start any different, whether it's here or anywhere else? It's not. It's going to start with a handful of people that are really going out for going after God. They're praying. They're seeking His face. They're hungry. They're desperate. And God shows up. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy's not going to sit back and be passive. And so let me give you, I'm going to do my best to paint this picture. But in the second heaven, you've got those principalities. And it's like they're fishing. You guys ever been fishing? You cast the line? And you're wanting to hook something. Okay, what they're doing in the second heaven is they're looking out and they're seeing. They'll look at a church and they'll see how it is. It's going after God or whatever. And they realize we've got to get in the camp somehow. We've got to do something. And so they begin to fish. And they're casting down their, their, uh, their line. They're trying to connect to something. And whenever people are not right with God, let's say that they're going to listen to the lies of the enemy they're going to allow an offense in their heart. They're going to allow themselves to get in unforgiveness. They're going to allow themselves to get lifted up in pride. They're going to allow themselves to start getting rebellious. They're going to allow themselves to get into sin or whatever it is. It's like that fishing. See, if you weren't a threat, if a church wasn't a threat, they wouldn't be fishing in the first place. But they're fishing for something. And they're up there casting that line, casting that line, and they find the person finally they can connect to. And now that there's a connection made, now they're beginning to try to pump their influence into that person's life. And the more and more that person allows themselves to think those thoughts, to feel those feelings, and to begin to, to see things the way that's, that principality wants them to see it, begin to speak the way that principality wants them to speak, and begin to act the way it's like a puppet master. The more they do that, the more and more the DNA of the wolf is beginning to take root in them. Are y'all following me? And pretty soon, if they don't repent and they don't get delivered and they don't get that garbage off them, it's not going to be too long until they're so much like a wolf that they actually are in the church and they're, they're the ones that Satan is trying to use now to be like Paul said, a savage wolf coming out from among your own number that will not spare the flock, but try to take away disciples after them and try to destroy a church. Did you know the devil really doesn't have a lot of influence in Christians' lives unless they give it to him? That's the truth. But a lot of Christians are ignorant about spiritual warfare. They don't have any discernment about them. And it doesn't take much for the enemy to get in their lives. They believe the lies of the enemy. Did you know believing the lies of the enemy, that deception, is a door for the enemy? It's where that fishing can hook into them where they believe that lie. It's like all of a sudden something connects to that lie that they're believing and it's now pumping into them and trying to feed on that lie and make it even worse than what it was before. It's the fiery darts of the enemy. They, people,
people align their thoughts to the enemy's thoughts by being critical and judging in a way that's ungodly. They align their own personal agendas with the agenda of the principality by rebelling against authority and sowing division. This is good. This is the truth. This is the whole counsel of God. And whenever people start rebelling against authority and they start sowing division, they are allowing themselves, because of their unrepentant sin, they are allowing themselves to come under the influence of the prince of this region. And now they're becoming more and more and more like the wolf nature instead of the nature of the lamb. They come into agreement with his assignments by gossiping and slandering. They, they, they're evil praying. They're praying against the will of God. They're living in unrepentant sin. Their words are lining up with what the principality is speaking instead of what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Pride, ungodly fear, ungodly control, rebellion, lust, idolatry. So there's three major enemies to revival. And these are ancient enemies. One of them is Jezebel. The other one is a religious spirit. And the third one is Leviathan. And I'm going to go down through this today. And we're going to, we're going to go ahead and confront this head on. So I'm dealing with deception and mixture. There cannot be a mixture of this garbage in a church. It can't be there. People have got to allow themselves to get all this yeast purged out. Are you hearing me? And once God has got a group of people like Edward Miller's group, that, that they got on their face and they wept and they wept till there was pools of tears and they, they renounced the world, they renounced the flesh, they renounced the devil and they let the Lord purge out of them everything that needed to go. And when it was time, then it was like revival exploded. If he can find a group of people that will really repent down to, to everything they've got to get rid of and they're willing to go all the way with Christ, they're willing to give it all up and let him purge them deeply, that's a group that can do great things for God. So the first spirit I want to deal with, and, and, and probably the most vicious, is the Jezebel spirit and also Ahab. But this deals in the realm of rebellion, witchcraft, and control. Jezebel actually means without cohabitation. Meaning that somebody with a Jezebel spirit, you cannot peacefully cohabitate and live with that person unless you are going to be a passive Ahab that will allow them to walk over you and control you. If you're not going to be that, you cannot cohabitate with them. I hope y'all are hearing this tonight. The spirit of Jezebel opposes the spirit of Elijah. When the spirit of Elijah comes, it's a fiery um, revival anointing, a prophetic. And I'm going to tell you, the spirit of Elijah will turn the hearts of fathers to children, children to fathers, and will prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. And has to do with great revival. But what did Jesus say in the book of Revelation? He spoke to the church and he said, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. She calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating a food sacrifice to idols. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because Queen Jezebel lived in the Old Testament. What in the world is this thing doing in the book of Revelation? Because it's a spirit. And spirits don't die. This is the same spirit that possessed the woman Jezebel in, in um, the Old Testament time, 1 Kings chapter 18, 19, and used her to try to destroy a nation. But she was married to a passive man that would allow her to use his authority as king. 
to get her evil agenda accomplished. There cannot be any toleration. Galatians 5.19 says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, witchcraft, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and these things. He said, I've warned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, don't you find it interesting that it says that the flesh, that witchcraft is a work of the flesh? That's interesting, isn't it? And then in Revelation 21.8, it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death. In other words, they're going to go to hell. But it says those that practice the magic arts. That's witchcraft in a spiritual sense, spell casting, curses, things like that. So here you have this interesting thing in the Bible where you see witchcraft as a work of the flesh and then you see it also as a spiritual thing. And it's like a snake that has two fangs. One fang of the snake is still deadly poisonous with viper and I mean it's got that venom in it and that is the flesh, the witchcraft of the flesh. But then you've got the other fang which is the dark arts. But both of them are poisonous and deadly. And it's the same spirit of witchcraft that's behind us, the same spirit. So what is witchcraft of the flesh? Listen to this, 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion. And insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Rebellion is as witchcraft. And it says this, insubordination, which is coming, it's basically the same thing, rebelling against authority. Insubordination is where somebody's a leader and they're telling people this is the way it's going to be and there's people that say, we're not going to listen to you, we're going to do our own thing. That's insubordination. And the Bible says that's witchcraft and it says it's iniquity and it says it's idolatry. I want everybody please give me your best ear. Number one, rebellion against authority. People that won't submit to authority. Won't come under authority. You see this first and foremost in the home where you deal, when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit, you see a woman that does not want to come under authority with her husband and submit. Are y'all hearing me? A lot of times the problems in the church go back to the house somehow. Because the husband's not dealing with it. It may be very painful and difficult to deal with. But men cannot be passive about things you can't let things go if your kids are out of line you've got to correct them and if you're not going to correct them the bible says you don't love them am i telling you the truth all right so husbands it's our responsibility to put the kids in check and to deal with discipline in the home it's also the responsibility of the husband to have the final decisions and on judgment day regardless of how much america hates this preaching and regardless of how much the leaders hate this preaching that's what the bible says and on judgment day you better live for what the king says is right because he, you're going to stand in front of him and i'm going to tell you whenever you stand before jesus he's going to look at husbands and say i hold you accountable For your wife and your kids and how they turned out, it's your responsibility. You can blame shift everybody else. You're accountable. And Jesus is going to judge husbands. So you better listen to what I'm telling you. Is I'm going to give an an account for how my wife turned out and how, how my daughter turned out. And I know that. And I live every day with that understanding. 
That's why I don't put up with any funny business because you can't do that. You, you've got to keep your home in order. And, of course, I have wonderful family that that's not a problem, but I'm just saying that they know me and they know that I'm serious about that. And it's the same thing with the church. I'm not going to put up with, I mean, any funny business in the church because I'm going to give an account as a pastor for how this church turns out. And if I let some little devil come in the church and tear the church all to pieces, and then there's people out there that go to hell because of me not dealing with it, that's not going to happen. There's too much on the line. And you've got to understand, if we would live with eternity in our minds, realizing that when we die, it's not going to matter one bit what the person that sat out there and, and hated you and all that, they're not going to be there. It's not going to matter what the people thought out there that, that criticized they're not going to the only person that's going to matter what they thought about you is jesus that's it if you would live with that reality then when i die not even my wife's going to be standing there it's going to be me and him and he's going to look at my life and he's the only one that matters Amen. if all of us would get that reality we would live a little different so number one is rebelling against authority they won't submit to authority and in the home structure, the husband is the head of the home. The wife is to submit, the Bible says, in everything as unto the Lord. Women that are single, if you want to marry, you need to ask yourself, listen, before I get married, I've got to resolve it in myself that I'm going to be a submissive wife. If you're somebody that, that has a problem with that, you need to leave it at the altar today. Okay? And husbands, you've got to decide within yourself that you're going to be a leader. Don't you dare take on the responsibility of having a wife and kids if you're not ready to lead them in the ways of God. That's your responsibility. Don't put it on somebody else. And don't think that the pastor is going to be able to do it for you. There's only so much that anybody else can do in that realm. You're responsible. So the witchcraft of the flesh is control. Manipulation and control. Are you hearing me? Manipulation, intimidation, control. So how does this work? This is ungodly control that we cannot put up with. Number one. People will try to intimidate others with threats. Has anybody ever threatened you? That's intimidation. They'll try, to, they'll try to say something like, I will give money or I will withhold money, but I'm going to do this based on if you're going to do what I tell you. You know how many pastors out there have been in bad situations because there's people that are using witchcraft in the church against them saying, well, we'll leave and we'll take everybody we can with us. We'll, we'll do this with our money. We won't do this. You're going to do what we say or it's going to be this way. And they threaten the pastor. Let me tell you something. Listen, I know you guys, I know you're not like that, but I'm going to tell you, if there's ever anybody that slithers in here like that, I am not putting up with that. And I know you won't either. That is witchcraft. And pastors, if they would deal with it and say, you know what? You can take your money and you can leave out the back door right now because this church is not going to come under your influence and your witchcraft telling me how to preach or how things are going to be just because you're a big giver. Forget it. It ain't going to happen. There's people out there that will glare at you. I remember being out in uh, East Texas, man. And I had, I'm serious. I had this, this husband and wife that didn't like me and I'd preach this. <laughs> They know, they know who it is. They'll probably figure it out. And that woman would just sit there and just glare at me with hatred. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a witchcraft. That's intimidation. They're trying to intimidate you. They're just glaring at you. It's a demonic spirit. They'll also try to humiliate you. Or they'll try to blackmail you. And it's not always true. They, they may say something like, if you don't do what I say, then I'll tell everybody this. And it's not even true. It's a lie. And that's blackmail. But listen, this stuff is not funny. This is serious. This is intimidation. This is where people use threats. They use money. They use whatever they need to do to try to intimidate you 
and bring you under their control. And you've got to break that control. Amen. The next one is manipulation. Manipulation, they may use seduction. They may use crying to get you to feel sorry for them. They may use anger or temper tantrums or violence of some kind. But they're trying to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. You've got to see through the facade. I had to confront one time a Jezebel spirit. I mean, I've actually had to confront it several times. But this, is, this one time really sticks out to me. I was working at a ministry. And whenever, they, whenever I came in, the Lord sent me there in the first place. But whenever I came in, the woman that was the leader of this ministry took off on a sabbatical. And I remember that after a little while of being there, I knew something was off. And I found myself just in prayer, and I was preaching about these things. It was interesting. And as I was one time, this has only happened to me twice, where I actually had something in the physical realm that God used to speak to me. This only happened twice in my whole life. But I was in this room praying, and we were at this camp, and I was there just serving and helping. As I walked back and forth, part of the room had sunlight, part of the room didn't. So it was kind of dark. And, and as I was walking through there, I realized on the dark side, as I, as I was praying and walking, that there was a coiled-up little copperhead inside the room. This was inside. And, man, so I grabbed this. Thankfully, they had a really large trash can in there. And at one of those big ones, I guess 50-gallon, you'll help me out. Okay, one of those large trash cans. And so I just turned it over, and I slid that snake up in there. And he was trapped down the bottom of that thing, couldn't get out. But I remember as I began to continue to walk and pray, the Lord spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard him and said, I'm about to use you to expose a hidden serpent. And then God spoke to me and said, you need to look up or something along these lines about the Micaiah the prophet. And I really felt impressed to look at his life. And this, this particular woman eventually came back from her sabbatical. And I started seeing some stuff that was horrible. I mean, there was sin in the camp that she wasn't right. And one of the things she would do is she would belittle her husband publicly in front of everybody. I hate that. That's a demonic, friend. And the Bible says wives should reverence their husbands. That's in the Bible. It's in Ephesians. I could show you. And that's sin. And she would get up in front of everybody and just belittle and berate him and talk to him like he's the biggest idiot that ever lived. And I'd sit there, man, it was just, it was boiling in me. And um, I was, anyway, so as time went on, God's speaking about the prophet Micaiah. And if you read the story, he's the only guy saying the right thing. Everybody else is, and, and this is not a story of encouragement when you're about to deal with something. This really, I knew that, seriously, I knew that I was going to, this wasn't going to go well. And so the Lord finally dealt with me. It was time. So I went to this woman in private, and I had some, there were some people there on staff, and, and it was a private thing. And I was really nice, and I was polite. But I said, I have a problem with this, 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 and this. And I gave specifics, and she was pinned to the wall with the exact specifics I gave her. I mean, it was obvious that, what are you going to say? I mean, it's like, well, you did this on this day, and this is wrong. And then you did this. Well, Here's what she did. She just started bawling and crying to get everybody to feel sorry for her. Well, the goofy people in the room started feeling sorry for the woman and looking at me like I'm the bad guy. I'm about to get to this in a moment about that right there. Anyway, I was real nice about it. So she says, well, I'm going to call my pastor. And he comes in. He's like, well, I don't know. He didn't really listen to me. And my wife can testify to this. He did not really listen to me when I told him. I said, listen, man, this woman has a Jezebel spirit. She's trouble. And I, if you don't deal with it, it's going to be a problem in your church too, not just here where she's at in this ministry, it's going to be a problem in your church. And I prophesied to him. 
and he didn't listen to me. Years pass. I'm, I'm off somewhere else in another area. And I go rolling through the town and I tell my, I tell my wife, I said, we need to stop in and see Pastor so-and-so. I haven't seen him in years and I love the guy. He was, he was really a great guy. And so I swung in to see him and when he saw me, he said, oh man, he said, I need to talk to you. Come back here in this back room with just us three, you know. And man, this woman, listen to this. She had had an adulterous affair on her husband and then blamed the pastor for it. Now wait, now when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit, you're not dealing with rational stuff because you're thinking... How, how could he be blamed for this? But you, did you know that out of 300 people in that church, did you know all but 30 ended up following her? You think, how can people be so goofy to believe that the pastor's the one to blame because this woman had an affair? And he told me this. He said, I wish I would have listened to you. Did he not? He said, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't because it, it blew up. And if he would have just dealt with her, God told me, I'm going to use you to expose a hidden serpent. And I exposed it. I was run out of Dodge, okay? I wasn't treated well. But whatever. I had nothing to lose. I still don't. I don't really care. But if he would have listened, he could have gotten rid of one, one or two people out and spared a whole church. But he would not deal with her. And it ruined the church. Another way that Jezebel operates is through lust, sexual sins, sensuality, and seduction. I am shocked at how much... Listen, let's go back to the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So who's going to be wanting John the Baptist's head? The spirit of Jezebel. So Satan stirs up King Herod, married Herodias. It was an adulterous relationship. And John the Baptist just didn't care what people thought. And so he pointed out in public in front of everybody and said, it is not lawful for you to have her as your wife. You're in adultery. You're in sin. Repent. Well, the king didn't like it too much, but he knew that the guy was telling the truth. But that woman that had that Jezebel spirit hated him, hated John the Baptist. So anyway, she manipulates her husband and put him in prison. But that's not the end of the story. Listen to how this goes. She gets her daughter... Salome, to go and dance before Herod seductively. She's taking off some of her clothes. She's dancing real seductive like the pop stars you see today, like that. She's dancing, you know, perverted. And, and of course, he gets salivating and everything. And he says, I'll give you anything you want. And she listen to what she asked for. She says, well, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What type of sick human being would find pleasure in somebody being decapitated and their decapitated head put on a platter and brought to them. It takes a special kind of sick person. You know what? You're not dealing with a normal person. You're dealing with a demonic spirit in somebody. And she hated John the Baptist. She wanted him dead. And she did everything she could to manipulate and and to deceive and to get Herod to end up cutting his head off for her. But one of the things about that Salome is that that spirit of seduction. I've been shocked, man, especially with the advent of, of uh, social media and stuff. Just seeing in the church how much seduction there is. You know, now you'll see people that, that are Christian people and they're posing just like the pop stars in photos. Am I telling the truth? 
and they're taking their clothes off and all this stuff, and they're just like, it's, it's just like a Salome that there's a, a, a sexual spirit on them that goes back to Jezebel. I'll tell you something else. Jezebel operates through the idols of the heart. You better make sure that your heart is fully devoted to the Lord because if there's anything that's not, that spirit will try to play on that issue right there. It also functions through gender confusion, trying to make women domineering, controlling, and masculine, while at the same time making men passive, wimpy, and girly. It's obviously the spirit behind homosexuality. I laughed so hard. I, I really never got into Duck Dynasty very much, okay? But I, I thought they are funny a little bit. I saw, but I remember Phil one time saying something on, on the 700 Club. He said, men in America need to be men and quit acting like women, you know? And he was saying that, and I just started laughing, and he's over there going, you know? But let me tell you, he's telling the truth. Hey, you look at TV now, and you, all these girly men and stuff, it, don't get me started on that. There's a Jezebel spirit behind that, try, trying to feminize men. And, and to make women masculine, it's gender confusion. And also, the Jezebel spirit will operate through a sympathy toward worldliness and evil, compromise with entertainment. Where there's a Jezebel spirit, that spirit will do its best to seduce people into entertainment they really shouldn't have in their life. Now, y'all hear me? You want revival? Then let me tell you a revival message. We have got to be separate and holy from this world. You cannot have the world and have Jesus. It, it's not going to work out for you. I know that some people want to do that. They want to hold hands with the world and be worldly and they want Jesus, but it's not going to work out for them because the Bible says in James chapter 4, it says, you adulterous people, don't you realize that friendship with the world is hatred toward God and those that choose to be a friend of the world become an enemy of God. And then there's people that will go to church and they'll worship Jesus and they're, they're raising their hands and all this. And then they'll go home with those same hands and they'll turn stuff on where they're watching people take their clothes off and have sex. And they're, now they're salivating, they're lusting. It doesn't work like that. You know, hearing God's name used as a cuss word should grieve us. You know, the F words, the GDs, these things should grieve us. You know, and some of the filth that's out there in entertainment should not be entertaining to Christians. It should break our hearts and grieve us that that garbage is out there. And of course, Jezebel operates very strongly through counterfeit revelation. These people are clairvoyant. They are, I mean, they can see things and get things, but it's demonic. They're getting it from a demon. And they're like a psychic. And you have to break that control. You cannot put up with it. Listen to me. You cannot compromise with this spirit. You can't do it. And let me tell you, there'll be hell to pay if you don't, but you cannot compromise. You're just going to have to weather the storm that's going to come from breaking that control because, believe me, it will explode. But once you get on the other side of that control and you're past the other side of the storm, there is an incredible freedom. And you cannot play with this thing. It's not your friend. It's not your little pet. I, I used to watch a show on Animal Planet called Fatal Attractions about people that own pets they should not have. And y'all have heard me talk about it. I thought, man, these people are crazy. I mean, they would have the third most poisonous snake on planet Earth, okay, in a little bitty aquarium in their bedroom and sleep. With. And not only that, you would think that would be it. No, they would take it down and pet it and let it, let it crawl on them and they'd pet it. And let me tell you, I'm sitting there just shaking my head going, you know as well as I do, it's just a matter of time. And every time I watched the show, there was somebody else. They'd have a 500-pound Bengal tiger in their little apartment. You're going, 
man, how in the world do you think things are going to go well for you? Because eventually you're not going to give him quite enough, you know, beef or whatever that day. And you're not going to realize it until he takes it out of you, you know. And, and anyway, don't get me started on all that. I'm rabbit trolling. But my point is that you cannot have these things in the church, in the ministry, and not deal with it. Because eventually, it may act like your friend, and it may go in hiding, and it's subtle, but eventually, it will strike. You've got to deal with it. Some people, they will hear the message, and it's like the fork in the road, and, and they, the, the message that light of truth will melt their hearts like wax, and they'll repent, they'll get right. Other people will harden their heart. They'll leave. You won't see them again. They hate your guts. They'll turn other people against you, and they get them to hate your guts. And all this over what? The word of the Lord. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to bring peace in the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and those who lose their life will find it for my sake. Anyway, listen, whenever Jesus was on the earth, he had to break that control. In Mark 3.31, it says his mother and his brothers arrived while Jesus was preaching. They were standing outside and sent word to him and called unto him. A crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Behold, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about those that were sitting around him, he said, You are my mother and brothers. Whoever does does the will of God, he is my my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words... They came to set Jesus straight. Mom and brothers came to tell Jesus, you've gotten weird, man. You're, you're thinking you're the Christ. You're going around preaching and you're calling yourself a prophet or whatever. You need to just come back home and you need to go back to, to making tables and chairs. You need to relax. People are starting to talk about you. Listen, they came to set him straight. And Jesus, I mean, as soon as they said that, Jesus broke that control right there. And he said, no, these are my mothers and brothers. I'm going after God. And he went went on with his destiny. Sometimes it, it is very difficult because there's people that have leverage. You know, a lot of times the family members, they mean well, but they can be the greatest hindrance sometimes. I'm blessed to have wonderful parents that are supportive, but I know, listen to me, do you guys remember I showed these documentaries on different revivals? And I showed documentaries to you guys so you could see the sights and sounds of revival, what they did to see revival in their lives and, and to stir up a hunger for revival. But there was a specific documentary on the Brownsville revival, and there was, a, um, there was a man that was a principal of a high school. And all these kids were coming to him asking about Jesus. He was leading them all to Jesus. And, and I mean, whenever they come and ask you about it, that's totally legal to answer the questions. And, and, and God was so on the move in Pensacola that on the high schools people were being gripped with the fear of God and were coming to the principal asking him about Jesus and how to be saved. And so this principal is leading him to Jesus and then he's taking him to the revival. But he was saying on there, he said, you would be surprised that some of the parents that literally would rather their kids be experimenting with drugs and sex outside of marriage and partying and getting drunk 
and going out and doing what they consider to be normal teenage years than they would to be on fire for Jesus. And they, they really hated this principle because he was leading them to Jesus. Can you believe that there's parents out there that would rather their kids be dabbling with drugs and, and getting drunk and having sex and all that? They'd rather that than them being some fanatical going to church. They may sound weird to you, but there's a lot of people like that out there. You have to be willing to be persecuted. There's a pastor, great man of God, whose mother had to take a beating every time she took him to church for years. There's a price to pay. There's some of my wife giving her testimony. You know, she was disowned by her family because she became a Christian. Didn't have contact with them for a long time. You've got to be willing to break that control and deal with it. And let me just warn you before I go into the religious spirit that a Jezebel spirit sets its sights against anointed men of God. Listen, Samson probably was one of the more anointed judges if you think about it. People think Samson was all hulked up with these massive muscles and everything. That's, Samson was a normal guy. You know what? He was just a normal-sized guy, but the Spirit of God would come upon him in power, and he could whip thousands of men. And Samson, from the time he was born, was set apart as a Nazarite, and the Nazarite wasn't supposed to cut their hair, and so he had it in seven locks, and, and he wasn't supposed to, to drink wine, and he wasn't supposed to touch dead bodies. And, and, and Satan saw Samson and saw that he was set apart from birth as a Nazarite. He was holy and saw that anointing on him, and he was a mighty man of God. And wanted to take him down. So how does Satan take down Samson? He tried at first to send armies against him. And he found out that didn't work out very well. Because all of his soldiers were ending up dead. And so he had to figure out a way. And he found a seductive woman named Delilah. That he could put that woman in his life. And through that woman, he ended up losing everything. His entire ministry. His destiny. And he ended up blind. And he ended up, remember, just pushing that mill down there as a slave. But listen, that's the warning. You better make sure and be careful about these Jezebel spirits because it's serious. And what will happen is it will try to sneak in the back door. And if you don't discern it and deal with it, it can really be a problem down the road. And these things operate like a virus. The Bible says of us to be careful the company we keep because what will happen is, you're, you know, let's say that somebody gets offended and they leave a church or whatever, whatever, that's between them and God. But whenever they're going and they're bad-mouthing the church and, and all that, there's a spirit. Are you please hear me? There's a spirit behind it. The Bible says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not so much the person, but it's the spirit behind their activity. And you let that person into your family, into your life or whatever, you start hanging out with them. And that spirit begins to come upon the other person. And over time, it will pull them down too. You have to discern the spirit. All right. I'll deal more with that in this religious spirit. The religious spirit. Also, you can call it the Antichrist spirit. Or you could call it the Pharisee spirit. This spirit is opposed to revival. Jezebel goes after the spirit of Elijah, but this spirit goes after revival. Christ means the holy and anointed one of God. 
So the religious spirit or the Antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit. Did y'all catch that? An anti-anointing spirit. It's after the revival anointing. It wants to shut down moves of God. It hates the freedom. It hates the freedom, people dancing and singing and being free in church. It hates that. It hates the gifts of the spirit. This religious spirit wants to shut it down. One of the things you've got to watch out for with the religious spirit, I'm just going to read over these, is spiritual bigotry. Listen, it grieves me about racism. It really does. I know you guys are not like that, but I hate that. And that people that are that way won't last very long around me anyway. I've learned that. But I loved when we were able to worship with um, Dr. Paul. And uh, in that room, we had Africans. We have those that were Indian and, and all these different races represented worshiping together. And it became a house of prayer for all nations. And I love seeing all the different nations t- come together because that's how heaven is, isn't it? But anyway, spiritual bigotry is where people think that they're a certain way and that their certain way is better than the other people's way. And, and it's like denominational walls. They think, well, our little clique knows everything. We're the smart ones. We're the right ones. We've, we're the ones with it all together. And so they'll look down on other denominations or other groups. That's spiritual bigotry. And there's mainline denominations now that have a spirit about them. Because there was a time when those denominations rejected the revival of their day. And they persecuted the revival of their day. And they became an enemy of the Holy Spirit of that time. That was many decades ago. But what they didn't realize was when the leadership spoke against the move of God and they persecuted the move of God because it wasn't their move of God. When they did that, they allowed a spirit into their denomination now. And now, even people that just sit in their churches, let's say this particular denomination that I'm thinking of in my mind has always rejected the apostles and the prophets. And it's interesting that you can even find people that just simply go to that church and, and they'll have a problem with the prophetic ministry and a problem with prophets. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because there's a spirit about the denomination. Hello? And I'll tell you something else. Denominations that are letting sin take place where they're, they're ordaining and putting homosexual bishops and pastors over churches, they're allowing some very powerful, perverse spirits into their denomination. There's denominations in, in, in different churches that have been so ridiculous and goofy that they have actually, this is true, it's going to be hard for you to believe, they've allowed like a psychic to have the pulpit. I mean a well-known psychic to come and talk to the people. That is allowing those occult spirits now I'm talking about deception and mixture. I'm talking about purging the yeast out, getting rid of this garbage. But this religious spirit, it's all about the traditions of men. Did y'all get that? It's not about good sound doctrine, no. It's about their pet doctrines that they're willing to die for. They oppose the anointing. Mainline denominations, when Rodney Howard Brown came over to America and God started moving real powerful, they began to persecute him because they didn't like the joy and the laughter. They spoke against the move of God. A religious spirit is an old wineskin. It's not flexible anymore. And God can no longer pour new wine into an old wineskin. And you wonder why these groups of people have dried up so bad 
because the Lord can't pour new wine into them anymore. They're an old wineskin. The religious spirit is critical, fault-finding, and judgmental. It'll sit back and criticize, fold its arms, and judge. And you've got people in the church that, that are hurting and, and, and that love Jesus with all their heart and they're free in their worship and you'll see some religious Pharisee in the corner back there with their arms folded glaring at somebody, how dare you dance in church? I love them, man, but do you really, do you think they last very long here? But the religious people do not, they, they oppose the revival they don't like and I'm saying it with humility and love. I'm not saying that in a prideful way at all. I don't mean it that way. But, but listen, we can't put up with that at all. And another thing is they love to debate, fight, and argue. They're cynical and overwhelmingly negative. It's like they can't see the positive. They can only see the negative. They're legalistic and ritualistic. If you ever get legalistic or ritualistic in your Christianity, it's a bad sign. They're full of cold love and a lack of spiritual power. These are religious people. They have a form of godliness, but they deny, they deny the power. They, they're cold. Their love is cold. Their love toward God's cold. Their love toward people's cold. And they don't have true spiritual power. And whenever people come in that do have spiritual power, they're jealous of that and they'll persecute. A religious spirit, there'll be a group that's different. Maybe they use more flags in their worship. Maybe they have a different style of worship. Maybe... They sing different songs. Maybe there's a different personality. Maybe they're less formal or they're more formal. Whatever it is. And they look at it and the religious spirit will criticize that and won't be able to receive. A religious spirit will cause people to actually become enemies of the Holy Spirit and hate the Holy Spirit's manifestations. When you run up against a religious spirit, man, they are they are mean. Next week, if I give my testimony, I'm going to share things I've never shared before if I do next week. But... I'm going to tell you, I've run up against a religious spirit. And there is a, a lack of love. And they hate the Holy Spirit and they hate his manifestations. Let's say there's tongues, people falling, shaking, laughing, crying, whatever's going on, and they'll just sit back and they glare at it. They hate it. They hate the freedom and praise and worship. They hate the tongues and the gifts. But let me tell you about these, these demonic spirits, whether it's a religious spirit or a Jezebel spirit. But they will always work very diligently to try to make the victim look like a bad guy. And they work very diligently to make the bad guy look like the victim. And I want you to remember that. I want that to be something that you circle on your page or whatever, that you really remember that long term. Because when there's an attack, a spiritual attack of the devil, these spirits work very diligently to make the victim, those that actually are the victim. Try to make them look like the bad guy. While they themselves are the ones that are splitting and dividing and rebelling and they're being very evil and wicked and they try to sit around and get everybody to feel sorry for them like they're a poor little misunderstood victim. That is demonic. And I've seen that over and over and over where the enemy will try to manipulate that and get those people to look like the poor little victim and, and sympathetic toward them. You cannot be sympathetic toward that stuff. And also these spirits work in, in religion as well as with counterfeit revelation, just like with Jezebel. I just sense some things coming in the future. I just do. I feel like there's going to be some major breakthroughs, major, major breakthroughs, major breakthroughs. 
And we're going to come through that, and God's going to put us into a new season and all of that. But I'm going to tell you, don't be surprised if something, some things don't try to come up along the way. If Jezebel tries to slither in the back door somewhere, or religious opposition comes. And I tell you what pastors need. Pastors need people that will stand with them when they've got to deal with the difficult issues. Because, listen, let's just be real about it. It ends up falling on the pastor to have to deal with it. You don't have to deal with it. I end up having to deal with it. And I don't mind dealing with it. And I'll drag the elders with me so y'all be ready. Because I'm not going to go in there by myself about everything. I'm going to drag them along. We're going to go in there and deal with it. But whenever those people are calling you or emailing you or texting you and they're crying and they're the poor little misunderstood victim and I can't believe these horrible ogres, these tyrants that, that, that would dare to, to confront them like that and, and, and say these things and all this and they, and they start all that nonsense, you better see right through that. If you don't, don't be surprised you don't get sucked into it. It's happened, man. It's happened many times I've seen it. These are the enemies of revival. These are geographic, territorial spirits, and I make zero apologies for this sermon tonight. So if this offends you, be ye offended. I really don't care, and I mean that. I don't care. Because this is spiritual, it's warfare, and it's in this area. Listen, people don't realize what you're getting into whenever you sign up for Christianity, especially sign up for the ministry. Do you really think that you're going to be tiptoeing through the tulips with Jesus and... And, and just singing these songs and it's just you got some romantic notion that you know <laughs> you better get ready friend for some war somebody trying to come in and body slam you and you're going to have to take them down I mean I'm talking about spiritual you're going to have to wrestle and fight I'm not talking about physical don't read into that but you're going to have to wrestle and fight these dark forces. And you defeat them in prayer. And let me tell you, I'm going to get to this here in a moment, but it's all about unifying. It is. It's about coming together in unity. <laughs> in the last spirit, I'm going to spend less time because I've dealt with this recently, but Leviathan, the spirit of pride, confusion, and accusation. Leviathan comes from the root word, which means twisted. Listen, Leviathan opposes the glory. So you've got spirits that oppose... Um, the spirit of Elijah, you've got demonic spirits that oppose revival. Now you've got demonic spirits that oppose the glory. The glory is God's manifest presence. Listen, when, when Leviathan comes, you're talking about confusion. You ain't known. Is that okay to say that? I'm from Texas. You haven't known confusion until Leviathan shows up. All of a sudden, everything you've ever said can and will be used against you in the next gossip session most assuredly will be confused and distorted in every possible way. But literally, when, when Leviathan is at work, somebody can say something and it'll go out of your mouth. It's going through the airwaves. Sound travels pretty quick. But these things are somehow quicker. So it goes out of your mouth and it's going between your mouth from your tongue to their earlobe. Okay? Between that and that, something jumped on those words and twisted them up. And I'm serious that now what they hear is nothing what you said. And they leave out, I can't believe you said this. And you're going, I didn't. Yes, you did. (laughs) What do you say to that? I've had these things happen, by the way. So there's this distortion. There's this confusion. When, When Leviathan comes, there's all this he said, she said, garbage, just confusion. 
And they're under the influence so strong sometimes of these demonic spirits. Remember, they go fishing. If they can get a hook in somebody, that hook is just like a lot, like an electric wire that now they're pumping their influence into their life. And the more that they lie, the more that they gossip, the more that they rebel, the more and more they're doing the things they're not supposed to be doing, the more they're taking on the nature of the wolf. The more they're being conformed into the image of that thing instead of the image of Christ. And you want to talk to them, but they're so demonized, so to speak. They're so full of hate, and they're so angry, and they're so bitter, and they're so um, given over to this thing that you can't get through to them. It would take an act of God, it really would, to get through to some people. But now on our end of it, how do we remain free in this? Number one, we've got to have the heart of a true intercessor and not the accuser. Leviathan is the accuser of the brethren, by the way. See, Jezebel and religious spirits, they operate a lot through deception and temptation. But man, Leviathan operates through accusation and slander, the accuser. The heart of an intercessor is somebody that might see something that may be off, but they go in the private place and with tears, they humble themselves before God and they pray and they earnestly say, God, in private, not in a prayer meeting where they're pretending to pray, but they're using it to gossip. Not that, no. They go in the private room by themselves with God and they're seeking God and they're saying, Lord, I, I see something that may not be right, Lord, but I just humble myself and say, Lord, forgive us. I'm sure I've done these things many times. Lord, I humble myself. Forgive us. And, and Lord, move in this person's life. Send revival. Break through for them. Help them. And they're crying. And they mean it. That's an intercessor. That right there breaks the power of the accuser. But the accuser of the brethren will take root in somebody's heart. And instead of them praying, now they, they're accusing. They're like, well, this person's like this, this, and this. And they go around gossiping and shooting their accusations. Do you see the difference? Or they'll even accuse them to God. God, I can't believe this person did. All of us have probably done that at some point. God, I can't believe this person didn't said this. Listen, that's not going to help anybody except the accuser. Pride and church splits. Lucifer was lifted up with pride. And he rebelled against God, his authority. And he led a third of the angels with him. Some people get so full of demonic influence that they get lifted up with pride. They rebel against the authority over them and they take many with them. That's the nature of the wolf. That is the DNA of Lucifer. It is. Am I telling you the truth? The accuser of the brethren will accuse God to your mind. How many times have I seen and talked to people all the time that they're mad at God because God did something. It blows my mind how many people blame God for every bad thing that ever happens to them, when a lot of times it's their own stupid fault. They set themselves up for it in the first place. But let's say that it's not their fault. Jesus said that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundant. They're blaming God for the devil steal, kill, destruction activity it happens all the time and now they've allowed the devil to accuse God to their mind they're mad at God and that is not going to go well for them also the devil will accuse leaders and Christians in somebody's mind to cause rebellion and division 
They'll be sitting listening to a sermon, and all the while, some spirit is shooting things. It, whenever Paul said that this there's fiery darts, he's not just kidding here. This isn't a metaphor. Okay, he's talking about literal fiery darts. And he said, you better make sure you got your armor on. Your helmet on your head. Your shield up. You better know the sword pretty well and start using that sword a little bit because they're going to sit back and they're going to try to shoot these fiery darts into your mind. And you better renew your mind against it. All of you have seen the Cowboys and Indian movies of some kind or TV shows and you remember the Indians will light the arrows on fire and they'll shoot them. And if they don't put out the arrow, what happens? Pretty soon the whole house is on fire. Let me make it real simple. When that fiery dart hits you, if you don't extinguish that thing pretty quick, don't be surprised till you're completely consumed with that thing. It will spread like that. The accuser will be putting negative thoughts, critical thoughts, things in your mind against your pastor, against your leaders, against people in the church. You'll be sitting there looking at somebody thinking, man, why are they looking at me like that? They're not. They're just thinking. But you're, you're just taking it that way. That's the darts. And pretty soon as people entertain these thoughts in their mind and they don't renew their mind, they're allowed. Listen, the devil does not have that much authority there. But the people are giving it to him. They're entertaining his thoughts. He put the thought in their mind. Now they're entertaining it and meditating on it. And pretty soon it's overtaken them. And now they're leading a rebellion or they're sowing division. This is spiritual criminal activity in God's kingdom. People that rebel and sow division in his kingdom. Isn't it? And they'll accuse other Christians to your mind. But listen, the last couple things, I've already preached on this, but pride will form, this Leviathan will try to form scales around people's lives that are so tight together that the wind of the Spirit of God can't get through. And also, it is a counterfeit spirit as well. Because if you read about Leviathan in Job 41, I believe it is, it talks about Leviathan has this fire that will shoot out of its nostrils and things. And what it is, it's a counterfeit fire. It's a counterfeit. Leviathan, for example, as a counterfeit, will, will have maybe a charismatic preacher that can jump and spit and yell and scream real good and get everybody up in a frenzy and they're all screaming and yelling and all this. And they think it wasn't anointed service. It wasn't anointed. It was charismatic, but it wasn't anointed. That's Leviathan's counterfeit to the real anointing. You seeing that? The ultimate goal of Satan is to divide the body of Christ because he knows it will weaken it to the point of becoming ineffective for Christ in the earth. Jesus taught us if a kingdom divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. So listen, I'm telling you this as a pastor. I don't know why in the world God gave me this on Passover, but he told me to preach it. And uh, when I die, who am I going to stand before? All right. Who's, who's not going to be there? All of you. That's right. It's just going to be me and him. So I got to do what he says. But anyway, I'm just preaching it straight, telling it like it is. But I'm going to tell you, whenever um, down the road is revival's breaking forth, revival's coming to this nation. I'm just telling you. There's a great awakening that's going to sweep this nation. And people that have made themselves ready like River of Life are going to see a major move of God. I know it. A great harvest of souls. And as it's coming, Satan's not going to sit back passively. And I'm telling you now, if you, and I'm telling, I'm, I'm, I love you as a pastor, 
but I'm, I'm telling you, you here, you, and those live stream, whatever, everybody's going to hear this, people that are coming to the church, I'm telling you that if you allow yourself to get lies in your head that you entertain, you allow yourself to come under the influence of stuff that is not right and you, and you keep it in your life and you don't deal with it. Don't allow that to happen because the devil wants to get your nature to become more and more of a wolf nature. Jesus said, I'm sending you like lambs among the wolves. He wants us to be great warriors and champions for him, authoritative and bold and strong, but we still have the nature of the lamb. Amen? Not the nature of the wolf. The wolf is the prince of this region. The wolf of this region, the principality of this region, has a lot to do with religion and witchcraft. It's okay, let's get real right now. Religion and witchcraft and also Leviathan. These, I believe Satan has, has put these over this region because there have been credible prophecies that all of America will be ablaze and Dallas will be the hub. And I believe that Satan knows those prophecies and he knows that it's going to happen. And so he's put things over this region to oppose revival. And let me tell you, I hope you hear me. This is literal, real warfare. We, we know a pastor we deeply love in East Texas that came into a certain city and was really going after God. And his son got murdered, okay, was shot in the face, right, by a shotgun. And then this guy leads a major church split in his church, remember? And it broke his heart. I mean, it, it hurt him. It, it damaged what God was trying to do in that city. And when I tell you about spiritual warfare, I'm not just saying, like, I think some people almost look at it like playing some video game or something, like it's not actually going to hurt you. Like, like you're, it's some altered reality or something. No, this is like it's going to hit home, okay? We, another dear friend that pastored us and, and actually was a pastor to my wife for like 10 years, man, wonderful man of God, we love him. But there were people in that church that got so full of the devil, something hooked them started pumping its influence into them, and they took on the nature of the wolf to the degree that going down I-30, about 60-something miles an hour, they ran his daughter off the road into an embankment. That's attempted murder. <coughs> and they did that. And then, of course, they led a major church split and, and split up that church and messed up that church. Did y'all hear me? They led a major church split and tried to destroy that church as well. And that church recovered, but it was very difficult, very painful. When I'm talking about spiritual warfare, I'm not talking about something that's some fairy tale thing out in some nether world that isn't going to hit home. This is reality. This is stuff where I know, I know wonderful Christians that love the Lord that have had some serious satanic attack against maybe their health, their finances, and their marriages. Listen, the home, the structure of the home is a major battleground. You wouldn't think that it is, but Satan wants every marriage to end in divorce, and he wants every minister's kid to be messed up, on drugs, in prison, totally messed up. And this is reality. And if you don't help your kids become strong in the Lord, whenever, you remember whenever Judas, listen to this, so Jesus is the shepherd and he's got the twelve. And I can just see Satan now, when you're dealing with Jesus, you're dealing with probably it was actually Satan himself. Because when we come under attack, we're dealing, if you're a threat, you're dealing with like a prince or something like that. But, but I'm sure Satan himself came, and it's like a wolf circling the flock. I'm sure that Satan was circling Jesus' ministry 
like this, looking to try to find some way in. And he couldn't find a way in with Jesus. And he looks at Peter and gets Peter to deny the Lord, but still that wasn't really, he was looking, he was trying to find a way into, you know, he saw Judas. He saw in Judas that he had a love of money issue that was not resolved. I hope you are following me. This wasn't so much an issue with rebellion or betrayal per se. It was a money issue. And the book of John said that Judas was the treasurer and he would dip into it and steal from it. Okay? So his heart wasn't right about money. So when Satan's circling the camp looking, how can I get in here to get to Jesus and destroy this ministry? I'm going to shut this thing down, this revival, this move of God. He keeps kicking my demons out of people. He keeps getting all the sick people I made sick. He's getting them all healed. He's preaching in a way that is exposing me as a thief and a liar. And, and he's, he's, he's a troublemaker, the devil says. He's, this guy's just a troublemaker. So he's going through, the, I've got to stop him. I'm looking, I'm looking. How can I get to this guy? And he finds Judas. And it's like he came in through that avenue. And it was interesting because on Passover, when Jesus gathered his 12 to eat Passover, and he broke the bread, and they passed the wine, it was in Passover at the Lord's Supper that Judas ate of it and the Bible says that Satan entered him in the Passover meal. And then Satan went out. And what did the devil do? The devil lined it up where Judas was willing to betray Jesus for the very area in him that was unresolved. It was a love of money. He was willing to sell out Jesus over 30 pieces of silver. Money. So Satan found a weakness in somebody that he could get in. And when he got in, mass destruction. I mean, all the disciples fled for their life. We know the story. Peter ended up denying the faith and denying the Lord and all that. And they were afraid. They ran. And, and um, Jesus, of course, laid down his life and all of that. But my point is, is that the devil's looking for a weakness. And a lot of times in ministers' homes, if there's a, a child that's young and they really don't know how to pray and they're not real strong, a lot of times... Satan will try to target and come through the children because that's the weak link. You will say, well, that's not fair. The devil's the type that will bring a gun to a knife fight. You know, he's the type that you go into a wrestling ring and you've got rules and, and you're, you're supposed to abide by these certain rules in wrestling and he's got a switchblade tucked in over here. You know, he doesn't play fair. He doesn't care anything about your little rules and your games. He's there to steal, to kill, and destroy. When I'm talking about kill, I'm talking about literal, literally kill. You know, take people out through, through sickness or, or something, some major car wreck or something like, that, like our pastor friend that had his son murdered. I mean, steal, kill, destroy. And so when I'm talking about spiritual warfare, I'm not talking about some small thing. And I want us to be ready, but my message to you is this. As I preached about the Jezebel spirit, as I preached about the religious spirit, as I preached about Leviathan, have you searched your heart? And let's be real. Have you searched yourself and said, you know what, Pastor? You're telling me the truth, and I, I want to not be the person that hardens themselves and gets angry and leaves out of here and is not going to change, and, and I end up even worse. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the one that, like the melting of the wax, that I humble myself and get everything right. I really want to make sure everything's right. I want all that yeast purged out. This is Passover. You know, it's the purging of the yeast out. 
I want all that old sin and all that old junk purged out of me to where when Satan's circling the camp, he's going to look at me and say, can't find anything. He's going to go to the next person. I can't find anything there either. I want to be the one that he says, can't find anything with that guy. I don't want to be the one over there that in secret has got some issue and the devil says, oh, I can go right in here. So as we're moving forward, this is a real bold, strong type message tonight, but I want us to really make sure everything's dealt with tonight. I want to make sure that all of our ducks are in a row, that as we go into this next season, there's not going to be issues coming up that, uh, you know, Jezebel or religious spirits or or, uh, division or rebellion or any of that stuff. And these type of sermons there, it's like in, in our face, isn't it? Me too, it's for all of us. It's just in your face. And it's a deciding thing. So anyway, here's what I want to do. We're going to shut down the recordings in just a moment, but I want us to enter into a time of prayer. And here in a moment after we pray, if if some people feel like they need personal prayer, I'll pray with them too. But we're going to believe the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and break through this thing today. So let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus that you would release the precious Holy Spirit to convict and deal with things that need to be dealt with. Where you're at praying tonight, listen, part of the problem in the church world is this. Let me read you 1 John 3, 7. It says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because God's seed abides in him, he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. One of the big problems in the church world, and this may be for somebody here, is people that are are not true converts. They have not truly been born of God. They have not had a a radical born-again conversion. This is where people realize, see, this born-again experience is where people realize, you know what? I have sinned against God. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. My sin, even if I feel like I'm pretty good, still my sin, my lies, my, my thievery, my deception, my sexual sins, my lust, my the hatred I've had for people, all these things in my life, when I look over my life, I realize that I'm a sinner and I realize my sin has separated me from God. I'm on my way to hell. And then they say, Jesus, I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I give my life to you. Forgive me my sin. But there's a there's a change on the inside. Are y'all hearing me? It's not a religious thing. It's not just repeating a prayer alone. God honors prayer, but it's not just reciting words. How many times have we heard, you know, Steve, he'll say things like this. You know, you can go to hell with a, a communion wafer in your mouth. Singing from a church hymnal. You can go to hell with a choir robe, baptismal waters on your face. Those things don't save you. It's just religion. It's a heart change. It's where you're born again in the spirit. You're a totally different person. That's number one. Listen, on Passover of all days, I want to give everybody a chance to make sure that you're a child of God, that you know the Lord, that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. His blood can wash you and make you totally brand new. If you're not sure that you're a child of God, you're not sure that you're born of the Spirit, 
but you're different on the inside. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. A prayer in and of itself will not save you. You have to really mean this from your heart. God looks at your heart. If you mean it from your heart tonight and you're sincere, God will hear you and he'll forgive you. He loves you. That's why Jesus came. Because he, he died on the cross because he loves us and wants us all to go to heaven. So I want everybody out loud to say this. But listen, if you need this tonight, pray this. Don't let the devil hinder you. Okay, everybody out loud. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. You lived a perfect life. You never sinned. And when you died on the cross, you died in my place. I believe that what you did on the cross was enough. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for the sacrifice. And I ask you to forgive me because I have sinned. Wash my sins away with your blood right now. I give you my life. Let me be born again never the same. Change me. Set me free so I can live for you. I thank you, Jesus. I believe tonight that your blood makes me whole.
people get angry and say, I can't believe a loving God would send people to hell. You know what? Let me just say this. Most people can take that attitude, but they got to realize that they send themselves to hell. They can get mad at God, but it's their unrepentant sin that sends them to hell. Jesus has no choice. He gives them a space to repent, just like he gives it to me and to you. Whoever is willing to repent and humble themselves and give their lives to Jesus, they're going to be with him forever. But people that say, no, I'm going to play games. I want Jesus because I don't want to go to hell, but I still want my sin. It doesn't work like that. There's got to be a willingness to repent of our sin. So I want you to pray where you're at. Is there any sin in your life that if Satan was to circle the camp and look at you, would he be able to point something out that is an ongoing, consistent issue in your life that needs to be dealt with? I mean, it's one thing. Everybody makes mistakes here and there. I mean, it's sin, but they, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an issue where it's you keep doing the same thing over and over. There's got to be true repentance. And I love you enough to tell you that because I don't want one day to be in heaven and realize that you're not there. Like Paul, I want to be able to say I'm innocent of all men's blood because I told I told people the truth. I preached the whole council. So where you're at, I want you to take a moment to pray and say, Jesus, I've got to get free of this. Listen, some of you, you may need to pray. You may need to fast. You may need to really go after God to really get a breakthrough and get on the other side of that stuff. It's not something that, that maybe you can just say some half-hearted flippant prayer. It's something that's been something uh, uh, somewhat of a bondage. You need to be broken. I'll pray with you tonight and God will deliver you, but it's it's something that you've got to consistently walk in holiness and, and, and give that thing up on your own too, outside of church. So Lord, I just pray for those that are here. I don't want them, Lord, to, to be open one day to a wolf to take them down. I don't want them, Lord, to end up in hell because they've they've held on to unrepentant sin. And, and, and Lord, I, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, to convict their heart and deal with